My name is Mark Ensminger, and uh, I'm the National Director of Children's Ministry. And, and I love uh, what's happening right now with this next-gen, uh, kind of a next-gen movement of really helping to build bridges between kids and youth ministry. Um, because the more we work together and the more we have the same goal, uh, the better off we can be. Um, and and I, I kind of take a look like this. You know, many times in the church world, uh, the youth ministry will applaud when the children's ministry has a success or children's will applaud when the youth have a success. Like, hey, way to go, great job on that outing or that, uh, that outreach event, whatever. That's awesome, but wouldn't it be great if we had the same goal and we were all pulling in the same direction, right? That instead of just saying, you did great, it was like, look at what we're doing together to, make, to move the needle for every one of these children or students that are in our ministry. And that's what Next Gen Ministry is really at, at the root, is coming together around making sure the child uh, grows up to know Jesus the rest of their life. And, and our discussion today, uh, why gender matters, and uh, is really one of those key parts, because right now in our world, uh, gender is really under attack. I did a training uh, just before COVID hit back in, I think, February of 2020, and I talked about some of the coming trends or the things that we need to be aware of. And at that, that moment, one of the things I taught was this, this idea of gender is going to be one of the, more of the defining issues that the church is going to be facing in the next few years. It's not going away. Well, then COVID hit, and it kind of went away. Well, it really didn't go away. It just went under the radar because something else was more important. And I feel like now that COVID is kind of slowing down, it's one of those issues that's coming back to the surface. Um, so recently, um, uh, some governors got together and were even petitioning about, um, uh, you know, transgendered people in sports and what's going to happen with all of that. So it's coming back to the surface and things we're going to have to be dealing with. Uh, well, in the conversation about gender, one thing I want to just kind of make as a, a foundational statement here that everyone understands, there are going to be sweeping generals, generalizations that I make where I'll say things like men are or women are, boys are, girls are, and they'll describe something. I want you to know that it, when, when, whenever we make those or anyone who makes those kinds of assumptions or statements, they're 100% true 80% of the time. Follow that? So in other words, if we had 100 people, it's going to be true about 80% of the men. Or about, so there's always going to be some people it's not exactly true for. That does not mean that they're risking being transgender or they're gender confused or anything like that. It's just that it may not be true for them. So I want you to just, as a, as a foundational note, I think that's helpful for people. And there's a little bit of a ring. I don't know if it's, I don't know if there's something just on this mic, but... If that's helpful for everybody as we go through this, just to make sure that you know, I'm not saying every, I mean, as we look across this room, we could get all the men together, all the women together. You're going to have some things that you all mostly agree on as far as preferences, things that you like to do, whatever, and some other things that you're going to be different. So as humans, we're just, we're different people. Thanks. So just kind of keeping that in mind uh, as we move forward. I'd love to ask a question, um, and this may be a little bit more pronounced in the children's ministry than in the youth ministry world, but would you say of the two genders, boys and girls, um, and by the way, it used to be a whole lot easier to make some of those sweeping generalizations. Like, you know, uh, we could get up and almost tell jokes about, you know, do you, do you know how to tell a between a boy and a girl? You don't? I do. It's really simple. A girl, when she's brushing her teeth, if the toothpaste falls off, she gets more toothpaste. And the boy just scoops it up and goes. So we used to be able to do that, but now not so much, right? But so when it comes to church world, <laughs> Alton's like, yep, enough said, <laughs> busted, <laughs> did that this morning. 
So, um, but of the, of the genders in, in worship, and I say primarily kids, it's maybe a little more pronounced than it is in, in, the, in the youth world, but in kids, which gender tends to prefer worship more, men or women, boys or girls? Girls, right? Okay. So there's a difference in that. Which gender generally volunteers most readily for crazy games? Boys, right? Okay. How do leaders respond to a boy when he's maybe distracted or doing his own thing during worship? Pray. <laughs> you, you, you correct him, right? Stop doing that. Get up there. Do, do what, you know, maybe do more like what the girls are doing, right? What about when girls maybe have a hard time volunteering and they just kind of sit there and they never come out of their shell, so to speak? What do we do? Like, come on, come on, come on, you do this, right? So all that to say that there's a part of we already understand that there are differences, not only in individuals, but there are differences in the genders. Uh, and so why is this an important uh, issue for the church? Well, there's really two primary reasons. The first is because it impacts how the ministry participants, how we, we minister to the next generation to raise godly men and women. If we're not aware of the conversation about gender, it can short-circuit our effectiveness at raising the next generation of godly leaders. Secondly, is it informs us how to respond to gender confusion and transgender dynamics in the culture. Again, if... If we believe this is more a cultural issue than a biblical issue, then we will stand on the sidelines and let culture do a parade by, right by us. But by the way, let me tell you, this is not first and foremost a cultural issue. This is a biblical issue. And people in the church, people of faith, people who stand on the word of God can enter into the arena of, with the conversation and can have conversations in a smart way. Um, now, again, keeping in mind that we can do so badly and think we're right you know, we can do it with bad form, we can do it with bad attitudes and think we're right and we're not going to win any arguments or we can do it in the right way. So the truth is the enemy is out to attack every single person, every establishment, every organization that God set up. And what he's trying to do right now is attack the family, attack the individuals, attack their identity. And that's what we're seeing as a result of right now. This is one of his schemes. If the church though is not proactive, if we allow culture and politics to determine what we believe, uh, or more importantly, what we teach our children, then the next generation of godly men and women will be in jeopardy. So we cannot sit back and allow the world and allow culture to dictate to us what the biblical truths are going to be. Now, here's the beauty of this. There is not only biblical foundation, but there is also research-based information that we can have at our fingertips. And that's important because if you're going to engage the marketplace and you say, well, the Bible says, and if they don't believe the Bible's true, then you have nothing to stand on. So that's where we compare our faith or we, we combine our faith in the word of God with what, with what good science is going to say. Now, um, I, I'm gonna, these notes are available and I'm going to give them to Matt, the notes and the slides. So if you want to have any of these, and at the end, I'll have a bibliography, a slide with all the, the books I've used for in the research on this. Let me just say right off the bat that um, all of these books do not promote the things I'm, the, the, the teachings I'm going to teach and the way I teach them. That's why you read, you, you read a lot of different things and you put things together. Also, some of these books will use similar or the same research and come to do different conclusions. Uh, that's important for you to understand. And that the reason why is because generally when people are doing their research and formulating their results, it is based on a worldview that they already have. Let me just be transparent. My worldview is a biblical worldview. I don't know that I'm 100% right, 
but that's my starting point, not my finishing line. So I will take everything I read and I see in culture and fit it through the lens of the gospel rather than take the gospel and try to fit it through the lens of scripture. Okay, so you can know that I am biased, but I am biased towards what I believe the word of God teaches about our individuality and about the about um, our gender and uh, what God has for us for a plan in our life. All right, here's a, a quote I'd love to start off with. And by the way, at the end, I'm gonna try to save about 15, 20 minutes for some questions. So go ahead and jot those down so we can get to those at the end. How does a child become an adult? How does a boy become a man? The transition from childhood to productive adult involves more than biological maturation and the passage of of time. Children take their cues from the grown-ups they see around them. Girls look to the women that they know, as well as the images they see on TV, um, movies, and online. Likewise, boys look to the men in their lives in the media. Don't miss this. To be a man, a boy must see a man. A boy does not naturally become a gentleman, by which I mean one who is courteous, kind, and unselfish. That behavior is not hardwired. It has to be taught. And the same is true for women. Titus, in the book of Titus, would say it this way. Older men, so think about this as the example, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, I shouldn't have had that fig bar. Now my mouth is really watering. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Again, think about the model that they're setting. Not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands, um, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech. And when you read that whole passage, what you cannot get away from is that... Paul writing to Titus understands that there are different situations, different things that men face than women face. There's uniqueness to them. Now, some of them were similar. Self-control was in both lists, for instance. So there is some things that are crossing over, but you have to understand that gender is something that it's not a, it's not, well, we're all just kind of a one mosh and you kind of pick what you, God knows there's a difference between men and women. Um, And so there has been an attack on gender, though. Let me kind of describe for you some of the things that are going on in our culture that you may not be aware of. Some of them you might be, um, where we see this attack on gender. First is a word we call cisgender. Everybody say cisgender. For how many of you, that's the first time you've heard that word. Cisgender is this. If you identify with your biologic, your gender you were assigned at birth, you are considered cisgender. So my birth certificate, it says male. I consider myself a male. Let me introduce myself to you as a first cisgender today, right? If your birth certificate says female and you identify you are cisgender, so it is the term society has given to those of us who forever just thought, I'm a guy, I'm a girl, right? You just, you said, well, now because we've labeled transgender, we're also going to label cisgender. It's one of the ways that in some ways we dehumanize And that would be one of the points maybe to make is that when we talk about transgender and we say, well, what pronoun should people be using? Is I'm a he, she, them, they, or whatever it is. You know what? Let's call people by their names the best that we can. Or let's call them of what we see them going to be as like a child of God or a warrior or something like that, uh, as opposed to a label, which tends to dehumanize a little bit. So cisgender is one of the ways. Um, Secondly, birth certificates. Oh, let me back up. By the way, gender is not assigned at birth. It is recognized. 
Don't miss that. People will tell you that gender is assigned at birth. It is not assigned at birth. It is recognized. Do you have a blood type? Were you assigned a blood type or did they discern and understand your blood type? You have an eye color. You have a skin color. Those things are identified and discovered. They are not assigned. Gender is the same way. That's one of the ways that the world is trying to be sub, uh, subliminal in this and saying, well, wait, you were assigned that gender? No, no, no. I have this. I have an X and a Y chromosome. So that's why I am this way. Now, again, there are a very, very small number of individuals who have, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, are born with, um, with a, an, what we maybe call an abnormality in that. All right, another way that it's under attack is birth certificates. Uh, some locations, uh, like I think in Canada is starting with this, even some states in the United States, are, are giving permission, or parents the permission to leave the gender blank until their child determines what gender that they want to be. Response forms, you know, you go online, you put your name and email and address and what gender are you. Um, there, some are just saying, you know, male, female, prefer not to say. At one point, uh, Facebook, with its one billion users, had over 60 options for gender. Tinder, the dating app, which I don't know if anyone uses that, but I can't imagine trying to find a date on Tinder when there's 40 different gender options. Boy, that would be scary, right? All right, sensitivity training. Public schools are providing and requiring that their teachers and administrators go through sensitivity training to learn how to introduce themselves to make sure that we're using the proper pronouns and letting kids know, I prefer he or him as opposed to them or they or whatever it is. So again, sensitivity training is breaking that down and then making counseling illegal. In some states, um, kind of this conversion therapy or trying to help people understand that, you know, be comfortable as a, as a boy because that's how you were born is, is becoming illegal. In fact, there's lawsuits between estranged parents, husbands and wives who've been divorced, where maybe the child believes they're a different gender and the mom wants them to have the surgery and the hormone therapy and the dad says, no way. And now they're going into lawsuits to determine who's right and who's going to get to choose. See, that's the attack that's happening on gender right now. Um, so with all these attacks, they're saying the same thing, is gender is what you feel and my feelings are the most real thing about me. That is very scary when we as a society believe our feelings are the most important. Let's play that out. If this morning I woke up and I felt like I was a chicken, should I be able to go around and pluck the ground? Right? If I felt like I was a 15-year-old man that was, you know, or boy, should I just be able to go to school, to high school? So if our feelings are the most true thing about us, then we're opening a huge box of who knows what's going to be. So when you have no boundaries, you throw off that constraint, right? So while culture is eroding uh, what was once generally assumed about gender, um, it's also making it increasingly difficult for the, for the church to stand on biblical values and traditional values. Uh, for the culture, if the church would attempt to guide a boy to be a biblical man without his consent, would be pushing an agenda. That's just crazy, but that's what's happening in the culture. So one of the challenges that we have right now, we have boys' ministries and girls' ministries, Royal Rangers and Impact Clubs. Some churches are really wrestling with, do we continue to provide these? Because when a person comes in off the street and the first thing they have to do is choose, do I put my child in the boys thing or the girls thing that makes them uncomfortable, even if they don't have a transgender child, just because culturally they're struggling with this very issue. Okay. This is why gender matters. 
Please understand that gender is first and foremost a spiritual identity issue rooted in a relationship with God. Don't fall for the lie that the church cannot engage in that conversation. This is something that's biblical. All right, let's talk about transgenderism and children. What is transgender? Just again for definition, for clarity on this, a person who believes they are a gender that does not align with their physical anatomy or will go with the chromosomes of XX and XY um, that wants to transition to the other gender is transgender. So it is more, we're using this as a definition, is more than cross-dressing like the opposite sex or engaging in activities that are traditionally viewed as uh, more appropriate for the opposite sex. Truly to be transgender for this session and for the conversation, I think it's important for us to know, it is about hormonal treatments and ultimately reassignment surgeries, okay? So if we understand that, I, I'm, I want to be clear, so because there's a lot of atypical behaviors, I would not call that transgender. In fact, but that's what the world is looking at, those atypical behaviors and saying, oh, they must think they're a girl. That becomes really part of the sticking point in this conversation about transgender and gender in general. The problem with all the attention of transgender and these hypersensitivities is parents often feel like they're bad parents if they don't let their child express themselves however they want. In fact, there is a widespread assumption that if a boy says he's really a girl or if a girl says she's really a boy, that that child will be happier, healthier, and more fulfilled as grown-ups if they facilitate a transition to the other sex. However, don't miss this, there is no long-term study that provides support for this assumption, not one. Let me restate that. There is a widespread assumption, if a boy says he's really a girl, or vice versa, that, we, that they would be happier, healthier, and more fulfilled as grown-ups if we today start to facilitate a transition. There is not one study that supports that assumption. In fact, there's compelling evidence that this assumption is often inaccurate. And I don't have all of this in my notes, but... One of the earliest uh, studies that was done began in like maybe between the 70s and the 90s. There, was, there were twins that were born, and one of them was born a very, very rare um, abnormality where the male genitalia was not fully formed but was a boy. And so they went to the foremost surgeon at that time or, or a, um, individual expert at that time and recommended they do the surgery and the hormonal treatment. And so you have two twins. You have a boy and you have a surgically... Um, created woman, girl, okay, growing up side by side. Well, they talked and they encouraged the parents to raise that boy as a girl, never knowing that they were actually born a boy. So grew up that whole way. The journals, the academic writings, everyone went crazy. Like, oh, this is great. See, gender is entirely a social construct. How there is, look at how happy and fulfilled this individual is. And so they went crazy. So it really took off that it's more nurture than it is nature. The problem is that that individual who did that study really manufactured and ultimately stopped chasing this, the study. And when people went back years later, that person was very, very dissatisfied. And when they found out, they were angry and all these issues. So it, it, in their mind, they're like, I don't understand why I'm this way. I was very masculine as a woman and was just really struggling. So again, there's no study that says that if a child believes that they're the other gender, you should immediately start facilitating that transition. In fact, it's quite the opposite. 
We know this. Here's one of the studies from Why Gender Matters, which, by the way, a lot of this comes from a book, Why Gender Matters. Um, I'll have the list of all of them at the end, but there's a lot of really good things in that one. We know that most young boys who say they're girls grow up to be men who, not, who do not think that they are women and don't want to become women. Let me jump ahead a little bit. In every study, a great majority of boys grow up to be men who have no interest in becoming women. In one of the largest studies of 139 boys who insisted in childhood they were really girls trapped in boys' bodies, only 12% said they wanted that to be that when they were teenagers or adults. In other words, 88% grew out of it. This then is why it's dangerous in this transgender conversation. If we're unaware of some of these insights and parents come and they say, hey, you know, Johnny wants to be called Sally now. And so this is where we are. This is what you need to do. And if we're unaware of what's going on, we can unknowingly not help the parents know how to navigate through that. As leaders in the faith community, it's important we not only have the word of God, but also uh, we have some some research behind that. So now we're going to jump into how we know the genders are different. And uh, really, there's kind of two things. One is hardwired, and one is what's learned behaviors. So hardwired is what's in your chromosomes and in your DNA of every man and every woman. And the other is what you learn, like um, uh, what, how you were raised in the social environments you were around. So hardwired or biological is that um, could be found in boys around the globe within their DNA or girls around the globe as differences in the gender. And the social constructs is like this. Boys play with trucks because parents give their boys trucks more often. Okay, than they do dolls. So that would be kind of a simple way of looking at that. But if these are true, that a boy to become a man has to be around men, you, you know that it has to be learned. So the following information has been really summarized from, a, from several years of study. I started studying the differences in gender probably back in about 2011, 2012, um, and then most recently, very intentionally in the last two years. So that's, this is kind of the summary of all that. So let's first of all look at some of the general differences between boys and girls. General differences between boys and girls. We're going to have some fun with this. First of all is stress. Boys and girls generally handle stress. Remember when I said 100% right 80% of the time? This is where you start to see that applied, okay? Girls, when they're being stressed, they typically look for comfort. Boys typically want to be left alone. It's just one of the differences between the genders. In a classroom, the boys, if they're a friend with the teacher, they're considered a suck-up. If, they, if the teacher likes them, it's, unless it's a coach. Now, a coach is different because if boys are friends with coaches, it's cool. But for girls, it's a sign of respect if they are a friend of the teacher. Relationally, boys want to be friends by being active and doing things shoulder to shoulder. Girls are more typical going to maintain eye contact and do things face to face. Have you ever noticed, again, when you get to your ministries uh, this coming week or this coming Wednesday and you watch little small groups pop up, you'll start to see this. Your boys are going to be running around and doing things active shoulder to shoulder, standing at the game system, looking at the screen side by side. Typically, girls are a little bit more. They're going to sit around the table. They'll be on three different sides. They'll be doing something together more face to face. It's just one of the ways the genders kind of typically play out a little bit more naturally. What about self-directed small groups? So I'm going to give a small group over here. This assignment, you're going to go do this. Boys typically will work on whatever they want to in the name of that assignment. Girls will be a little bit more, I'm going to stick to task, right? So you see that stuff kind of play out. Um, And boys also don't often ask for help if they need it, where girls will more likely to do that. All right, let's talk about the battle of the senses. The battle of the senses, seeing, hearing, and seeing, or smelling, seeing, and hearing. And yes, boys do smell more than girls. 
I'll let that one sink in a little bit in different ways. All right, so here's it is. Um, in certain areas, this is really an interesting, interesting insight. Recent work comparing the human geno- genome with the chimpanzee genome, and guys, hang on here because it's not looking good for us, suggests that I, as a male, share 99.4% of my genes with a male chimpanzee, slightly more in common with a male chimpanzee than with a human female. Why are the women the only ones laughing? That does not mean that I'm more like a male chimpanzee uh, than I am a human female, but in specific ways, like the way I see, hear, and smell, I actually have more in common with a male chimpanzee than I do a female. That's a very interesting insight, isn't it? So when it comes to some of this comparison about gender, there are some things we can learn from uh, the primates. One of the most basic differences in gender beyond the anatomy is the function of the eyes, nose, and ears. So let's look at hearing sensitivities. Women's hearing is generally more sensitive, allowing them in general general to pick up quieter tones. Men more favorably respond to louder volume. Typically, it's about three to four clicks on the radio dial in the car is the difference of what that sounds like, okay? So if you've ever asked your wife to repeat herself, now you know why. Because for her, she's probably talking loud enough. And for you, it's like, hey, speak up. Be a little bit louder. But think think about this in your ministry. If you have a female teacher and you have boys who are a little bit disengaged or rowdy in the back, they're going to have an even harder time understanding, aren't they, than if they're sitting in the front because it's a little quieter back there. What about if you have a strong male voice, a little bit like me, and you have meek girls sitting on the front? They're probably going to think he's yelling at them the whole time. So some of those dynamics make a difference in the classroom, and that's, again, just the hearing. What about smell receptors? Women generally have a more sensitive sense of smell. Christy, pre-COVID, was always asking, is something smell in here? And I'm like, smells fine to me. This probably was me, right? Um, But teenage, that's why teenage boys often have to be told to take showers because they can't smell themselves, but their moms can, Right? Um, so gen- women generally have a, bit, a more sensitive sense of smell. What about motion and color? Men are generally better at seeing speed and direction. In fact, that's what we see first. Women generally see color, detail, and texture first. So um, again, just when you think about your ministry environment and gender in general, those are some things that we can learn from that. All right, let's look at nature or nurture and an aggression. Or another way to look at that is beauty and a movement. Uh, what about the differences there? You take any group of boys and ask them to draw a picture and ask the girls to draw the same picture. And what are you going to end up with? What's the difference going to be like? The boys are going to use how many colors? One, <laughs> right? And what's it going to be? A bunch of scribbles, right? You know what those scribbles are likely about? Trying to create motion. They're trying to show it's moving. It's doing something. What about the girls? The girls will use how many colors? Every color under the rainbow. And they're going to borrow some from the other table too, by the way, right? And, and they're going to all color in the lines because, again, of how they see things and how they view things. So when it comes to, uh, to, um, to nurture and aggression, uh, you're going to find that uh, boys are naturally a little bit more aggressive Girls are going to be a little bit more on the nurture side. So this is, but this is where one of the dangers comes in, is if a leader looks at a boy's page, and it looks like, so let me, let me back up a second and say, so 
uh, let's take Jonah. Let's draw the picture of Jonah, right? Girls will probably do their best draw picture of Jonah. Boys will do what to Jonah? They'll give him a sword or a spear or an AK-47, right? Well, what, what we might misunderstand is if a, a teacher looks at the boy's paper with an AK-47 on it, and they're like, oh, he's going to be a terrorist one day. And we go all up, you know, we get all concerned because it's very, very violent. What the boy is trying to do, again, is probably very likely trying to show motion. Here's where you have to get concerned. This is where the line tends to get drawn. Is there an, an extraordinary infatuation with violence? Does he write the name of his dad or another person he knows on the page that he's going to kill that person? So now you can see where it's getting over, it's crossing over the line. But in general, because boys are wired more for action and those kinds of things, just having them show, you know, they're, they're running and they're doing things that seem to be a little bit more aggressive than a girl is, is not a sign, not in and of itself a sign that you have to be um, concerned about that. There are other things you have to put with that to show you that there's a concern. All right, so here's some questions that boys ask or girls ask when they see an object. When, the boy, when a girl sees an object, what she's looking for is what is it? They're looking for something that they understand. When boys see an object, they say, where is it going? What is it going to do? So whenever we tell stories, when we do storytelling, again, if you're going to capture the hearts and the minds of boys and girls in our discipleship moments, we have to understand girls want it to relate to real life, and boys want it to do something. So again, just understanding those differences. Um, Questions boys ask about, am I interested? So if you want to connect a girl to be interested to something, it has to make sense to her for her real life. Why and what is it for? How does it help me? What does it mean for my future? So in many ways, girls are a lot more mature than the boys are, and we're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, When you think about it in that way, I mean, they're really thinkers, so way to go, girls. Um, But boys want you to know what it's going to do and where it's going. Related to learning, girls really want things to relate to the real world. So most of the time, girls don't want to live exclusively in fantasy. Boys have no problem living in a fantasy world, do they? But girls want it. They're like, let's, okay, let's get down to business. Okay, what does this mean? What is this going to do? So you might find girls tending to do that a little bit more so than boys. Again, there's always going to be some of those atypicals. But boys on the other side, they identify with the hero in the story. So whenever you're doing storytelling, connect it to real life for the girls, but always help the boys almost vicariously see through the hero how they could see themselves. What about risk-taking? You're not the boss of me. Boys and girls take view risk differently, drastically differently. Boys and girls assess risk differently. They differ in their likelihood of engaging in risky behaviors. As soon as kids are old enough to toddle across the boys' floor, boys are significantly more likely to do something dangerous, like put their finger in an electric socket, try to stand on a basketball, or jump off the chair onto the floor. So when it comes to risk-taking, boys generally... So again, think about games, activities, volunteering for the unknown. Boys generally are going to shoot their hands up before you're even done with a question, unless the girls are already predicting, I know where you're going, and then they're going to put their hand up, right? So girls tend to be a little bit more reserved in volunteering, which is why we encourage girls to be a little bit more actively involved. It seems that boys systemically overestimate their own ability or underestimate the risk. Have you ever seen them leap off of something and never even think about what they were going to land on? <laughs> right? It's not that far, crunch, right? 
Uh, one might assume that this boy-centered risk-taking is a result of social norming. In other words, video games or how they were raised, that dads were rough and tumble with them. But again, chimpanzees, the same thing was found to be true. And chimpanzees, don't know if you know this, but I don't think they play video games. Um, most girls are going to need encouragement to take risks. Here's an interesting stat on leveling the paying field. It's a, it's a, well, it's a known statistic um, that generally a, a male is in the marketplace is paid more than a female doing the same job with the same history, the same experience. Sad but true. Here's an interesting insight on this. It could be that men are more likely to try to negotiate a higher starting wage than the woman would be, which is directly related to what? Risk, right? Men in one study made 8% more than their female counterparts, not because of skill or ability, but because they were willing to risk more in the negotiating the salary. Only 7% of women asked for a higher wage compared with 57% of men. So again, when you think about some of these things that we're addressing in the culture, certainly want to correct that, but some of it's just the nature of the women say, man, I'm glad to get the job. And men are like, I'm glad to get the job, but I'm going to show you that I own this. And I'm going to come to the table and do a little bit more, okay? All right, what about learning? Who's ready for learning? Different studies have different results, uh, but every study of brain development in children shows that boys lag significantly behind girls in the pace of brain development. This does not mean that boys are stupid, even though we'd like to claim that sometimes. Uh, It just means that they are behind. So think about this in the context, specifically ministry, children's ministry, If you're sitting around a circle, let's say with uh, kindergartners, first or second graders, and you're asking them to read, who's typically the better reader? Girls. So if you're asking boys to read, you could be reinforcing something that I'm really not as smart as the girls are and ultimately saying church must be for girls. See, that's the unintended consequence if we don't knowingly, if we don't understand the differences between gender. So there's one thing that five-year-old boys and girls are really good at, and that is learning who's in the dumb group. And so when boys don't perform as good as a girl does, and the teacher sequesters them to say, you're in a special reading group, all of a sudden, or maybe because only their age or their maturity level, they're put somewhere, they say, I must not be in the smart group. Uh, We started both, both of our boys have birthdays, uh, one in, in July, one in September. So rather than them being the youngest in their grade, we held them to be the oldest in their grade. We thought that would help them with leadership ability, it would help them with maturity. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that we, one of our boys came home and said, well, I was held back, thinking that he had failed a grade. And it's like, no, that's not true. So somewhere along the line, simply because of his age, not his grades, he gets great grades, but somewhere because of his age, somebody had told him he must have been held back, which is why he's older than most of the other kids. Not true. So kids are really good at figuring that stuff out. The church should not be that place, which is why we need to understand age and gender development issues. Of course, a five-year-old boy doesn't know his brain is different from a five-year-old girl, so in his mind, he's just dumb. But what does this mean for the church? Again, we can't assume that developmentally they're on the same pathway. And if at some point we end up labeling or saying, well, can't you do this more like the girls or can't you be more like the boys, what we're almost saying is either you're made wrong or church is or that activity is for the other gender so what about um what about homework i'll skip homework face-to-face we talked about that girls love relationship face-to-face boys are shoulder to shoulder all right let's talk now about some social constructs uh right now there's even a little bit of a movement to say well um i'll be gender blind i'll be gender blind I, i don't see gender and let me just caution you on that that being gender blind actually 
has an unintended consequence of reinforcing traditional stereotypes. Because when you don't really understand gender, you can unintentionally help to reinforce things that almost are damaging to kids. So to say I don't see gender is to fall for the trap that there's no difference between men and women. What we want to understand is the godly design that makes men and women different, but yet also understand that we're not trying to force all boys or all men into one specific box and all girls into the other. So for instance, um, take people who hunt. How many of you guys here like to hunt? One. We have one typical male in this room. Because I grew up that all men should like to hunt. Yeah. All right. How many, how many of you women like to hunt? Any of you women like to hunt? Okay, we have a problem here. Maybe you should be men, right? So, so, so they're in one of those typical, what men do you like football? Okay, a couple more hands. Any men not like football? One. Oh, we have a problem, right? So what about women? Women, do you like, do you like sports? Do you like hockey? Do you like football? Yeah? How many of you don't like it? Okay. So, so you can see how... When, when we're gender blind, we might say, well, all men should like hunting and women shouldn't like hunting because that's a traditional stereotype. And, and so we can unknowingly reinforce stereotypes. And let me just go on record and say it is perfectly fine for men to not like hunting and for women to like hunting. And the same thing with sports. There's nothing that says that's a male or female only activity. So just in case anyone's listening to this later and they try to take me out of context, I'm recorded now. Um, so here's some stereotypes, some things that we should try to embrace or try to avoid and embrace. Um, what we need to avoid for boys is saying to boys uh, that boys are rough and tough. Um, some boys don't want to be rough and tough. And if their environment is all about rough and tough and we say, oh, just get in with those other kids and, and, you know, bang it up with them and, and be all good. And like, that's not me then maybe that boy starts to think that because I do better playing with girls, that maybe I'm actually a girl. See the, see the difference? So if we don't understand that, we can fall for these stereotypes. Uh, all boys like contact sports. I got two boys that don't. They're all boy, but not all boys. And we can fall into this trap of you should like contact sports. All boys like cars, or boys shouldn't like cooking or taking care of babies, or boys shouldn't prefer arts over sports. Again, these are kind of common stereotypes that we unintentionally reinforce with very casual language that can be very dangerous to the genders. And for girls, same kind of thing. All girls love to cook. Not all girls do love to cook. Um, In fact, there was uh, Wendy's did a social media campaign in England and it said, it was like, uh, it was a statement of all, uh, a woman's place is in the kitchen. And I mean, it sent off a firestorm. Well, what they were trying to do is equality for women because most of the chefs were men. And so they're trying to promote, but you can imagine, you can just see how it's like, what? I mean, everyone, I could see people getting angry right here in this room. Um, but those kinds of stereotypes can be damaging. Girls should enjoy taking care of children. All girls like bunnies and fluffy stuffed animals and unicorns and rainbows. Girls aren't as good at math and science as boys. Can I just speak to that? As a, that's a myth. Um, sometimes the reason girls don't, aren't as competitive as boys are in math and science is because how they, they prefer to learn. Again, boys are a little bit more, um, maybe, an, I shouldn't say analytical, but they, 
the girls want to relate. They want to real life, and boys are, are different. So if the t- teacher teaches more in a male preferential way, the girls are going to fall behind. Same would be true if you teach more to gr- So again, that's, again, I went, went off a deep end on that one. Girls shouldn't play aggressive contact sports. All right, here's the kind of stereotypes we should embrace. All boys can be polite. Okay? We, c- we can say that because if a boy is rude, and we say all boys can be polite does not mean that he should, because girls shouldn't be rude either, right? Um, all boys can learn to have good manners. A man is someone who takes responsibility for his action. A man works as hard, works hard and does best all the time. A man seeks adventure, honor, and noble cause. Same thing for girls. Girls can be kind and friends with everyone. Um, you know, girls can tend to have a little more clicks and be a little um, uh, more exclusive, so that's why you reinforce that kind of a behavior. Girls can learn to get along with others. A woman can be strong, confident, intelligent. Is that a good thing that we should be reinforcing? Yes, absolutely, right? And it does not mean if you're strong, confident, and intelligent that you're supposed to be a guy. You can be a woman and be strong, confident, and intelligent. Women can be leaders in the church and the marketplace. A woman can be virtuous, respected, and valued. So again, when it comes to stereotypes, this is why we need to understand, have an understanding of gender. What about ministry methods? You know, there's two ways that we uh, differentiate or we, we categorize for ministry management. One is age-based. You've got nursery, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school. The second is gender, boys and girls, right? Well, there's a progression that you can go through if you really want to enhance your discipleship efforts. Because clearly, I think we're seeing in this room that there is a difference between how boys and girls learn, which means that the way we present the gospel, the way that we teach and train, the environment that we create has, can, can accentuate one or the other gender or both of them. For instance, a church that has our typical ministries of Royal Rangers and Girls Ministries, without any signs on the wall, I can look through the windows of the classroom and I tell you which ones are for boys and which ones are for girls. Not because they have the Royal Rangers pled in the code, right? But because a boy's is going to have a lot of open space for them to run and play, and a girl's going to have a lot of space for them to sit and talk, just because it's wired. That's the way the curriculum was written to enhance and to feature those specific genders. Um, so if you want to take a typical ministry and enhance the learning environment for the genders, there's a way that you can do that. There's a progression we can walk through. And really, it takes us from being co-ed to what I'm calling gender-aligned. And I, we avoid using the word gender-specific. And the reason I, we don't use gender-specific, and it's not that it's bad if you do, we sometimes slip into it, is because I believe in a co-ed environment, you can do specific things for each of those genders. Does that make sense? So you can't, there's a myth that the only way you can mentor a boy is exclusively in the company of men. You can do it in a co-ed environment, but you have to know what you're doing and you have to be intentional about it. So that's why we use gender align and I'll walk you through that progression here in a moment. Um, So uh, let's get, can you get that graph up here? Uh, One more. Yep. So if we're looking at a co-ed environment, um, basically what you want to be looking at is a, a transition or if probably most of us are doing ministry already in this co-ed environment. Maybe if you're doing rangers and girls ministries or you have a small group study or something that's boys or girls only, you're going to be over here. But if you're wanting to enhance your ministry effectiveness as a result of knowing how the, gen- how the genders are wired and how the social constructs have infect- uh, affected them, you kind of go through this a little bit like a checklist. So for instance, in a co-ed 
Is it better if I put it up here? I'm just trying not to get in front of the speaker. Okay. So if, you're, if your children are mixed or co-ed and you want to go deeper, perhaps you can separate them between boys and girls. So if you have a classroom for boys, a classroom for girls, or a small group for boys, you're going to see some benefit in there. Uh, even, even in youth ministry, for, for example. And I'll try to stand over here and let you just kind of look at it without me pointing so I don't get the reverb. Um, conversations will be different when boys are alone and when girls are alone. So already in moving to a single gender environment, now does that mean that you can only have male leaders? No, you can have a female leader in there with only boys, but it's going to be a different dynamic. But you can separate boys and girls. Most commonly, I see, I see in churches, like uh, they have a co-ed environment, and maybe they have a midweek environment, but they're not using the curriculum, the other pieces. Really what they're seeing a benefit there is, a, is classroom management because the boys are different than the girls are, and so they can do some different things. So I call that single gender. So can they be, is there space that they can be separated? Now what about the leaders? In a co-ed environment, you're going to have either male or female leaders, which hopefully now you're also seeing that it's very important in every ministry that you have both male and female leaders participating in key functions. Um, if, the, if in children's ministry, you only ever have a, a female leader in the room, boys may think that, that children's ministry is only for women, right? In youth ministry, if the only person who preaches is a male youth pastor, the girls may never see a woman in leadership. So that's why I love that we have a huge emphasis on women getting their credentials and women as pastors because our girls need to grow up knowing that I can be a pastor and a missionary. Interesting stat, there are more female missionaries than there are male missionaries. Why is that? I ask, our, our, I ask Greg Mundus, why is that? He says, you know what? Because when they're single, more women are brave than the men are. Though, and to talk about risk-taking, okay, that totally inverted that one because a woman is more likely to go as a single lady onto the mission field than a man is to go as a single man to the mission field. Very interesting. So leader, but can you have leaders of the children of the same gender? So if you recruited enough men and enough women that when you split your boys and your girls, you can have the men with the boys, now you can have the opportunity for godly role models. So now instead of recruiting people to be in the classroom and read a script, you're saying, you know what? I need you in this classroom because the boys need to look up to the godly man that you are. And so when you aren't there, I don't know who's going to show up to fill in that gap, but you've got to be there because those boys need what God's put inside of you, right? So that's the value of getting the men with the boys and the women with the girls. What about lesson content? Well, in a co-ed environment, the lesson content is going to apply to both genders. There might be some things that you do that, have, that kind of feature each of the genders specifically. But if you can shape the, the content focus to the gender defaults, now you have an opportunity to have unique features tailored for the gender, the way the genders are hardwired or the way that they have grown up. So what, what is an example of this? Again, when you talk about the way that boys like to do activities and to learn, boys like to be in relationship how? Shoulder to shoulder. So in a boys' environment with male leaders and male and curriculum designed for them, they're likely going to be more active. They're going to be doing things. On the girls' side, again, might be the same, but it might be still Jonah and the whale, but it could be that girls are going to do more discussion, more acting out, more role-playing, because it's going to feature the way that they like to learn the content. Okay? Now, what about leader training, really on gender specifically? Really in a co-ed environment, 
it'd be great if you had some, but you really don't need it because everyone's all together and you're probably going to be pretty much okay. But when you get over into the gender line, and by the way, this would be the highest level, when you can train leaders to have better understanding of gender, now they're going to know how to interpret gender-based um, behaviors. I'll give you an example of this. I was helping a church a couple of years ago with their children's ministry, journeying with them for about a year, had a brand new kids pastor, was kind of coaching and mentoring him. And during worship, um, there was, um, you know, the kids would come down to the altar and they would worship. And there's a bunch of boys over here that were just kind of running around and being crazy and they weren't really participating. I know it's probably unique to our church. Probably no other church has that issue. Well, what I noticed was all the leaders would stand around the outside. And then they would come up and they'd correct the boys to get them to worship. And then they'd walk to the back again. And I said to the leaders, I says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go stand with those boys, and I want you to worship Jesus the best way that you know how. I said, I don't want you to correct them. I just want you to be with them, and I want you to worship. And it only took about three weeks, and those boys started to change their behavior because there was a male role model who was with them. So we could interpret what that behavior was, was not disrespectful or a lack of, they just needed somebody to follow because everyone on the stage was a female. So they needed somebody with them to do that. At the same time, there was one boy uh, who, man, he's just, he just, he's running around. I mean, like worship would start, he's running around, he'd lay on the ground, he'd do somersaults, he'd do all this. And, you know, I say, hey, man, just, you want to come up and worship and be up here with everyone? No, this is how I worship. Okay. He wasn't bothering anybody. You know, that may not have been as much a gender thing as, you know, other things going situations in life. But again, when you have that kind of training and understanding, you are able then to better interpret what you're seeing in the classroom as not a, um, a deviant or a, um, a spiritual issue. Now, it could be spiritual, but sometimes we jump to, oh, they, got, they just don't want to be close to Jesus. They do want to be close to Jesus. It's just they didn't have anyone that was a role model for them. Uh, so that's why we even look at then some, some of these gender, gender pieces. And I've really gone over my time. So here's a couple of lists of do's and don'ts, or a couple things to do, and then uh, I'll open it for a question and answer. Make sure you provide space for activities. Um, again, this is great because if you have an open space like over here, uh, you can see who do you think is going to be in the gaga pit? Mostly boys. Who do you think is going to be over in the chairs and the tables, right? Mostly the girls. Open space, people have, and I don't even know if that's true, but it's probably what happens just by looking at it. You're, you're, you're interpreting that. So have space for the activities. Include activities that don't have on and off switches. Again, this is a great way to get people um, active and participating. Um, I'll skip the list. There's things that you probably know. Anyways, make sure you have male and female role models, boy-friendly, girl-friendly activities, um, epic heroes. Uh, there's a lot more I could share on that. Can you hit the next Here's the list of all the resources that we have, and then I'll open up for Q&A. Kind of a quick end to that, but I'm running out of time. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Use to address a student who is struggling with gender identity. All right. Hey, great question. What approach do you use to address a kid who's struggling with identity? Um, you know, I think there's a couple of things um, that, that should have been mentioned that I failed to mention, which is when a child comes to you, a parent comes to you and, and says, you know, that their child wants to transition or that they're trans or call me a different, you know, name or gender, that's not, more than likely not something 
that they just came up with that morning. It's been a part of their mind, a part of a process for a while. So your first and most immediate response should be one of compassion and empathy, of understanding and of love. Um, Jesus, when the woman caught in adultery, got down on her level, empathizing, connecting with her, healed her emotions, and then said, go and sin no more. Okay? So the human connection is important. So make that human connection with that person. Secondly, um, the, the, again, the biggest issue that gender, that the enemy is attacking through gender is identity. So getting people in the presence of the Holy Spirit, allowing the Spirit to work in their life for him to say, here's who I've made you to be. Now, here's our caution on this. Christians and the transgender movement all use, this, use the same verse, I knew you in the mother's womb. In other words, he knew that he was making me this way, so, this, so we both use that. But when the Spirit of God can speak to somebody and can get their attention that way. The other thing would be that our mind needs to conform to our bodies, not our bodies to our mind. If we invert that, it's backwards and it's not good. So, And parents are like could be embarrassed. They could be uh, confused. They don't know what to do. So again, making a human connection and likely most of these kind of counseling things are a little bit beyond us. Uh, the other thing I'd say is, uh, depending on the size of your church and where you're located, you may already have transgender people in your children's ministry and you don't even know it because they've moved into the area, they've introduced themselves as such and such, and you have no idea that they have, uh, they're experiencing some form of transition in the process. So, yeah, a couple thoughts. Is there any other questions? Kind of, kind of got one. It's like, I think I've got a question. So if you have a student or a kid in your ministry who is now identifying as something else and the parents don't know, how do you start that conversation Ooh. with the parent? Wow. Um, so when we were youth pastoring, we would always encourage the kids that we had, it wasn't transgender, but it may have been drugs or sexual promiscuity or other things that they would come and confess to us. Uh, our, our first approach in this, especially if you know the parents uh, or as best you can, we would encourage the child to go talk to the parents to have that conversation. It's not fair to your parents that they don't know what's going on in your life. So we would always try to connect. It's not, and it's also not biblical. It says when you honor your, honor is different than obedience. You can obey and dishonor at the same time. So to honor your parents, though, means I'm going to submit myself to you, and I'm going to have this conversation with you. And th there's no age limit on that. When you turn 21, doesn't mean you get the right to dishonor your parents. Okay. So so um, let them know. Hey, you know what? You you really need to tell your parents that. First time, week later, did you tell your parents? No, I didn't do that. Okay. Well, when are you going to do that? Get them to commit to a time. Follow up. Did you tell your parents? No. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you one more chance. And then together we'll sit down with your parents to tell them. So you go with them. I'm going to set up the meeting for all of us to get together. Um, would be an approach. Now, if there might be some circumstances that are extreme that you'd want to be sensitive with that on, especially if the parents are going to be hostile or if, you know, there's other things that would be extreme. But if you're, if you're talking reasonable parents who are going to be crushed, they're going to be confused, but they really need to know so they can help guide the, the kid, that would be an approach you could take. 
Another approach would be, again, if you have uh, opportunities to communicate with parents. Um, are, are you, you work with kids and youth, right? Yeah. Uh, and you're speaking of primarily youth ministry? Yeah. One of the things, and you can do this with kids and youth both, um, we always, I encourage you to publish uh, your topics and main points before you, you preach. So most people will preach their message and then publish their notes. I'm a big fan of publishing your notes before you preach the message in kids and student ministry for the simple fact that if we believe parents are the spirit, the discipleship begins in the home, then why do we make them follow up on us? We should allow, allow them the, the honor of knowing ahead of time. So then if you do a series on all of these things, you can even send to the parents, here's some questions to ask. And one of those could be, have you ever wrestled with thoughts about transgender or questioning whether or not you're actually a boy or a girl? Again, giving them some easy prompts as a way to have that conversation. So a couple of ways that you could maybe go about that. Um, there's really no easy answer to that. Um, but building that relational connect, a healthy relational connect, is always going to be the best approach. So my question kind of piggybacks off of his. So say you have a student, because I do student ministry and kids ministry as well. Say you have a student who was once, say her name is Sally, and now all of a sudden she's like, hey, call me Johnny. How do you deal with that? Without affirming, but, you know. Yeah, great question again. Um, so one, don't wait for that to happen before you take first step. The first step would be get your pastoral staff together and prayerfully make a decision on how you're going to handle those situations when they arise because it's really only a matter of time. So you, you never want to step out and do something. You could be caught off guard and in, in, in a moment and then you can go back and fix it, but you don't want to be down the road a long ways and then figure out that, oh, yeah, I should have told my, my church leadership. So start with church leadership. What's our standard practice going to be? Um, once you understand that, um, then make sure you, you conform to that. Um, again, every one of these situations could be very different and unique on how, it's, how it is played out in, the, in, the, in that conversation. Um, so for sure, you'd want to get down on their level or communicate with them in a, in a heartfelt way and say, you know what? doesn't matter what name. I mean, I know it's important to you what name that I call you, but I want you to know what's more important is that you're here and you get in the presence of God and that God speaks his name over you. Again, tying that to the identity in Christ, you don't have to necessarily affirm one way or the other. Um, at some point, you're going to have to, with parents, with church leadership, make a decision on what you call that child. Um, but, you know, here's another just at the top of my head, and maybe it's a, you know what, because I know you're kind of going through a transition right now or something, I, wanna, I want you to know that I love you so much, but I'm going to call you child of God for right now. So, again, just ideas. Again, there's really no easy answer on any of this stuff. The other, the other question we get a lot is, uh, what about bathrooms? How do you do bathrooms? For, for a, a person who, a trans person, the most uncomfortable time of, at church is knowing which bathroom to go into. Um, and I think there's even a difference if you're thinking evangel um, evangelistically or if you're thinking discipleship. 
Um, because again, if you're thinking evangelistically, you want them to know they're welcomed and let Jesus do the work. But if it's discipleship, you kind of change your posture a little bit on some of these, these topics. But for kids ministry, it's probably the easiest because we have just this, you know, no one goes to the bathroom, you're, you're going to go alone. So if kids can go to the bathroom by themselves, that's the number one way to solve that issue. Um, and if you're building bathrooms, trying to find single stall bathrooms that you can put in for people who are maybe in that process or just very uncomfortable. So that would be the other thing to kind of keep in mind is how do you handle the, the bathroom conversation?